I'm Colin. I'm Maite. I'm Matt. I'm Jordan. And this is Comics First. So we are back again this week talking Avengers Endgame, which is super exciting. Although if you haven't listened to us talk about it from last week's podcast, what have you been doing? Like you should go listen to that and then come listen to this one because a lot of what we covered last week is general movie talk, which means that we're probably not going to be covering it in this one. So again, go watch last week. Or, so again, go listen to last week's. Check that out. See what we have to say about Avengers Endgame and then come back to this one so you can hear again what we have to say about Avengers Endgame Part 2 because there's a whole bunch of stuff that we still didn't get to talk about. But before we get into some of the newer stuff, we have Maite and Colin with us this week who didn't get to talk about Avengers last week. So I kind of want first reactions from both the, first reactions from both of you guys. What did you think about the movie when you came out of it? How many times have you seen it since the movie? That sort of thing. I was literally speechless when it ended. I was with some of my friends and they were just kind of looking at me, like trying to see if I was okay because I literally like wasn't talking. I was just kind of sitting there in the seat, also waiting for a mid-credits or end credits scene that didn't happen. But um, I've seen it twice. Gonna see it a third time on Sunday. Um, but I mean, it was it was definitely overwhelming in a good way. Uh, it was it's still a lot to digest, but I mean, I absolutely loved it. Um, 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10 if that's possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, first impressions, um, it was mind blowing, overwhelming, uh, roller coaster of emotions, uh, just uh, everything that I didn't expect. Um, well, I'm not sure about everything I didn't expect, but scratch that. Um, just, yeah, just overwhelming and amazing, mind blowing. Um, this is the first words that come to mind. So I, I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, I think it is definitely, a completely satisfying movie from beginning to end. Uh, the three hour runtime goes by like a flash. Uh, I've seen the movie four times, which shows you how much I like this movie. I keep going back again and again. And every single time I go back, I find something new that I haven't seen the, uh, the first, second or third time. Uh, I think that all, everything I wanted out of this movie came to life. There's really nothing else that I questioned uh, and even some of the criticism I heard of the movie, I, I don't really agree with. And if I, in even the littles and even the little that I do, I am not that strong about, I think this is an incredible movie that every single person should go out and see right away. I just want to comment on you saying the flash, but like, we're talking about a Marvel movie. So can you please reel that in? Oh, <laughs> it was the line and as the movie is three hours uh the runtime goes by like a snap <laughs> yeah that's a better addition this line works neither way because it's either a dc reference or a shitty pun i would go for the shitty pun basically colin is a master of both marvel and dc so just in case you guys are wondering i didn't even know he's doing it <laughs> I agree with everything you said. Uh, master of puns for sure. So Matt, I know you talked about this last week, so I don't necessarily need your whole recap, but how many times have you seen it? Do you agree with Colin and Maite's feelings about the movie? I'll say I agree with uh, both of their, uh, not assumptions, uh, reviews, brief reviews of the film. I agree. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Uh, I went to, as, as of the recording of this podcast, I went to see it uh, last night. And my reaction was very much the same as the first go around. I was, I was physically exhausted getting out of that movie. There's, there's just so much to take in. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big movie. 
It's a lot. It's a lot. I know I, I keep repeating myself, but I mean, it's true. And I don't think it's uh that's a problem because like Colin said, it's three hours, but it, it goes by pretty quick. Uh, yeah, this is a good movie. <laughs> I was initially worried about the three hour runtime just because I felt that the, some of the longer movies, I thought Age of Ultron was a little bit bloated and just other lengthy blockbuster films I have felt have been bloated in the past. So I was worried about that. But like Colin said, it really doesn't feel like it's three hours. I mean, I could have sat there for a much longer time just kind of taking it all in. But um, I, I, I'm really glad they stuck with the length and they like didn't feel pressure to get it under three hours um, because I, I felt like they just really, the pacing was good and they, I mean, they kind of, addressed everything they need to address and closed everything out very, very well. As for the length of the movie, by the time we would get to the ending of the movie, I could have sat there for another 30 minutes. The movie I thought was perfectly paced. What makes this three hour runtime so easy to sit through is the pace of the movie because so much is going on and everything that's happened in the movie is very interesting and important. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I have seen it twice now myself as well, which is an extra time since the last time we recorded. And there's a possibility I'm going to see it a third time. So who even knows? Um, I'll, I'll definitely see it like more than another time once it comes out, you know, like not in theaters. But as far as the, just the theater run, I'll probably see it at least another time as well. Uh, as far as that goes. Although I will say that the second time I cried a lot more because I like knew what was going to come. It was like sad in advance. So I wasn't expecting that, which I think is another like testament to this movie is kind of saying like, all right, you know, the emotions going in. And the first time it's kind of like, okay, we don't know anything. But the second time I was like, oh, this will be fine. Like I already know that Nat dies and I already know that Tony dies and I already know what happens with the cap like mantle. but. Like the second I saw like Hawkeye on screen, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so angry. Natasha dies because of you. And then I got to like that death scene and I was like, this is already so sad and nothing's even happened yet. So that was definitely one thing that kind of surprised me even rewatching this movie that I liked a lot the first time. And the second time I was like, okay, I definitely like it, but I definitely have that emotional aspect more this time around. Did that happen to any of you guys or am I just crazy? <laughs> No, I don't think you're crazy. Um, I mean, I know the first time, I mean, I lucked out and I mean, I avoided the internet in all its entirety for like two weeks before the movie. So like, I had no idea what was going to happen. So having that experience um, and seeing those moments, like when Natasha dies, when all the heroes come back and fight together. I mean, that one, I, I was literally like jumping in my seat and like crying and like screaming all at the same time. Like all my friends were just like, what are you doing? But um. Right. I mean, the second time around, I went with people who hadn't seen it yet. So that was even more exciting because I got to see like the look on their faces when all those monumental scenes happened. So, um, I mean, it was definitely an emotional experience both times around. I think the first one, because it was that initial like overwhelming, I guess, shock factor. And then the second time it's like appreciative and you're like, yeah, I don't know, there's more of a, yeah, I mean, it's bittersweet, but it was still an emotional ride the second time. And probably the third time it will be. The cheeseburgers bit at the end got me the most. Honestly, all the all the callbacks to Iron Man hit me. Hit me like a like a fucking freight train. Uh, what got me the most was that last shot of Peggy and Cap dancing. Even the fourth time, I get choked up at that because 
there's just so much happiness with that moment. I like with uh, Tony's death, I wasn't really crying at it because I kind of expected it to happen, even though it, it wasn't spoiled. I'm just kind of like, okay, what didn't help? Uh, what didn't help with Tony's death is that when Pepper came on screen, I misunderstood what she was saying when she said, we're going to be okay. Cause I'm like, okay, why are you saying that Tony's going to be okay? It wasn't until she started crying that I realized like, Oh, she does. She means like that true meaning of it. So with, uh, Tony's, with, uh, with Tony's death scene, I found it not as emotional, maybe just because of my stupidity. Uh, but with, uh, caps exit, I thought it was very poetic and especially that I kind of, I, I thought Cap deserved a poetic, happy ending to his story because he is the most heroic. He's willing to sacrifice himself. If they just killed him off, it wouldn't have been uh, justified because I felt like he deserves that happy end with uh, Peggy. Oh, yes, I agree. <laughs> I mean, you and Cap, I know anything Cap, you're just A plus on. Yeah, I talked about this at length, actually. (laughs) Yes, anything cap definitely is my jam as far as that goes. And I agree with you. I talked about this at length on the last podcast about why I thought this particular way of ending it was the only way, in my opinion, that really could be. And I know a lot of people have a lot of issues with the time travel and with the alternate reality stuff. But ignoring all of that and just accepting that that is part of this mythos, whether or not you like it, I love the ending for sure. And not even the like Cap and uh, Peggy part. Like I love that part too. But I especially love just the interaction between Steve and Sam and kind of how Bucky is in that mix. I could talk about that so long, but I think I talked about it enough last time. So I definitely want to hear what Maite thinks about all of this, about Cap or about other scenes that got her. Yeah, um, just kind of going off what you were saying about Pepper's interaction with him at the end. Um, when she says, you can finally rest now, that really got to me. And uh, I actually, I, ironically, I when Iron Man 3 first came out, I wasn't a big fan of it. But then I watched it again because someone told me to watch it um, through the lens that the filmmakers wanted to show Tony being Iron Man without the suit. And I think that along with kind of viewing his PTSD and his inability to really take a break from being Iron Man, gave me a new appreciation of that movie. So that for me, that perspective tied into that scene where, you know, Tony he was always trying to find a way to protect the world, protect the universe, and he would have never stopped. Um, so her saying, telling him that he could finally rest because he, you know, he did save the whole universe and he kind of served his life's purpose. And he, I mean, he kickstarted this whole franchise, you know, um, but also this kind of, this universe that's going to be protected by heroes for, you know, the distant future. So I think that scene was really powerful too. Um, kind of it was a good send-off um and a really and a venerable one too for tony's legacy that was like perfectly put and a great tie-in because i was going to ask you guys and i'm glad we're talking about this because last time we didn't talk about tony's death as much as far as like the true impact it's really going to have or even if the way that he died was worth his character worth who he is as Iron Man? I mean, I think it was, but I'm really curious as to whether or not you guys kind of thought the same, if you would have wanted him to go out a different way or maybe not die at all. I think it works. Um, 
I um, I honestly I think it was because I didn't expect him to die that it was a little hard to take in at first. I'm like like oh no this is this is really happening. Tony Stark is dead. RDJ is not or I don't know. He might come back. Maybe they'll do like AI Tony Stark. I don't know. I hope they don't do that. I really don't want them to do that. I just want him to be dead because it was. I think this was. Uh, on the second viewing, yeah, it's it's a perfect send off. His last line saying "I am Iron Man" that one last time, uh, having those moments with Rhodey, with Peter, and especially with Pepper, I uh, I think are, it's 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 a really powerful send off. And the whole <sighs> this movie, this movie, I I can't. He's tearing up. Someone get him a tissue. Matt's crying again on the podcast after crying twice in Endgame. When one of y'all, I forgot who was talking, I was like getting emotional. I'm like, pull it together. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Yes, Colin. I like that. You think about like, for me, like I think about when I was younger and I was really into superheroes and like, actually I saw a meme about this where it's like, if you had told me 10 years ago, I would have seen Spider-Man holding the Infinity Gauntlet while riding Thor's hammer in front of like a t- all your favorite heroes fighting on screen. Like I would have never believed that. So I think it's also, the movie's also a testament to this, like being a fan and having these heroes be such a big part of each one of our lives. And I mean, it's more than just a movie. I know it's so like fucking cheesy and I hate that I'm saying that, but like, it really is though. Like, it's just like, it's like everything that you're passionate about and seeing it come to life and also seeing it done in a way where, you know, that I really cared about it. It wasn't just a movie to I mean make money I mean I'm sure that's what it was for Disney but like you know I think people who were involved and they really wanted to give the fans what they wanted I totally agree with you there I do think this is more than just a movie which I hope we get into a bit later the the cultural impact of it but overall this is a this is a very to all of us we grew up with these movies it's been 10 years there's been people like me people like all of us who we grew up with every time a Marvel movie came out, one of these MCU movies, they exceed our expectations. They shown us what Hollywood can do when you have the right kind of people on staff, you have the right kind of filmmakers with creative ideas. And when they're not restricted to uh, being too safe or being too crowd pleasing, because these, the MCU has made superheroes much more mainstream than they have been 10 years ago. When I went and saw Iron Man, there were a lot of times where there were a lot of people where I wouldn't be able to like geek out over it because they would think of Iron Man as nerdy. And it's like, why are you watching Iron Man? Now, these characters are like mainstream. Like, if you don't know who Iron Man is, where have you been? Someone had a good metaphor that like 10 years ago, you'd have the jock and the nerd and the jock would go, oh, why are you? Why are you, you see those Avengers movies? <laughs> nerd. But nowadays, it's like, hey, have you seen all those Avengers movies? Yeah. Well, can you come see it with me? I need. I want to know what's going on. Now it's cool to like the Avengers. It's cool to be able to geek out about. Okay, Cap wielding Mjolnir is the most powerful movie moment of all time, and it's not. And you don't have to be embarrassed about it anymore. Now you can go and scream from the heavens that you loved Avengers Endgame, and it's three hours of awesomeness. And no one's going to bat an eye. I just think it's amazing what Kevin Feige has done with all the uh, MCU movies now. 
Yeah, I agree. I think one thing that's kind of been left out of this discourse is exactly what you brought up is everyone being like, oh, it's clearly a fan serviced movie, which is true. Like it is. I'm not discounting that at all. If you have not seen the other, what, 21, 20 something, 21 MCU movies, then like, yeah, you probably won't understand most of what's happening in this movie. But that's also like to be expected. Like you wouldn't go into like, the 22nd season of a TV show and just expect to know what's going on. But on top of that, I think even apart from the fan service is that it does kind of wrap up so many of our lives who have been fans of this since the beginning, or at least since like relatively the beginning. And even for people who haven't been fans since the beginning, maybe they came in somewhat recently. This still is a good wrap up for those people who love these characters and who love what's going on with their stories. And even though it is sad to see some of our favorite characters die, like Natasha, like Tony and like Steve kind of transitioning out of being younger Captain America, Steve Rogers, there still is that nice wrap up that comes in and we still get to say like, wow, this was a relatively good ending for a lot of our favorite characters or for a lot of these characters who we have seen on our screens for the past 10, 11 years since a lot of us were in middle school and high school. Like we've kind of grown up with these characters, even though they are like a little bit older than us, but still sometimes I think about like how insane Tony Stark was in the first Iron Man movie and then kind of like transitioning it to now. And I really would hope after 10 years, that was a similar transition that I had where I like chilled out maybe a little bit. Um, although I could like do without dying at the hands of the Infinity Stones. But, you know, overall, that character arc and character transition. And Do you guys remember? I mean, it's it's easy math. Just like how old you guys were when Iron Man came out. Like when I when I think back to that, I must I was I was twelve years old. I was going into middle school. I yeah. When it came out, I had just graduated. It was either I just graduated or I was just about to graduate from elementary school. That's weird for me to think about. Cause I've never thought of see like as far as my recent memory could serve me. I don't ever remember seeing any of these movies like not of my own like intuition or anything. Like I I always remember myself going in like very enthusiastic and knowing a thing or two, but that was never the case until like after of the first Avengers movie. Cause I didn't read comics before Avengers. And then I saw that and I'm like, I really want to learn about more, like learn more about these characters and get into this kind of stuff. If I did. That's so wholesome. It's so cool to hear how people got into comic books. You know, I had no idea that's how you got into it. That's so cool. Yeah. I, in a way, I sort of owe my young adult life to this franchise because when I started, like, when I started writing, I figured, yeah, I'll, like, write novels and prose and, like, fiction, like, fantasy stuff, whatever. Now, now I aspire to write comic books. And I never would have done that had I not started reading. And I wouldn't have started reading had it not been for these fucking movies. So I hope I hope the execs at Marvel listening because they did something right. Talking about our lives in these movies, it's so just kind of like a it's kind of like a like a congratulations. Like you have been such a part of our lives. Like what you said, Matt, I think that these movies really have to find a generation. Honestly, this is gonna be some controversy. I do think that. The MCU is a much stronger franchise than Star Wars. It's, it, the MCU is the next Star Wars, and it did 
what Star Wars did, the kind of fandom, and it did it better. It did it more stronger, a lot less hostile. These movies have been just a big warm hug of like everyone is welcome. There's no person that's like forbidden. There's no person that's like going to be hostile to you, hopefully. Um, it, this is just so like everyone's here to have fun, have fun, be friends, and have an awesome cinematic adventure every what is it what every uh three months now there's three movies every year now it's like it's like having like a family reunion every three months to where we all gather and see the next chapter in the mcu yeah i agree with that i know it's super controversial but i mean i think the star wars fandom can be very very like you said hostile sometimes <laughs> and i feel like their opinions uh, so they're like oh i only like these two movies out of like all the star wars films that have come out and only these couple of characters. But with the Marvel movies, I think they intertwine each and every one of them so well. At least they have so far. And there's so many different dynamic characters. And like you said, the fandom is very, very open and welcoming. And especially to new heroes, too. It's, um, you know, like with, I mean, introducing so many new characters like Doctor Strange and even Captain Marvel that aren't really known to like a broader audience outside the comic book realm. The fact that they're, those characters have made it on the big screen in such, a, uh, in such a successful way is a testament to how awesome the audience is as well. And also the writers and the filmmakers and how well they've um, adapted these characters and have remained faithful to those characters and understand their comic book origins. I mean, Star Wars has had nine movies as of this year, really. Marvel has had 22 of them. And all, like, the worst one is Dor- uh, Thor The Dark World. And it's not really that bad of a movie. With Star Wars, you have nine movies. Three of them uh, are, I feel like, mainstream. Like, the original movies are just a a perfect trilogy. Then you get the prequels, which don't even talk about the prequels to Star Wars fans. And then you get the new ones, which are pretty good movies. But, and yet, it still has so much hostility to it. Like, Like, the last, I cannot, all the hatred I've seen for, like, Last Jedi... I could never, the Avengers movies has never gotten any, anything like that. Everything is so, maybe it's because Kevin Feige has a very clear vision of where he wanted the series to be, to end up rather than Star Wars, where there isn't really that one central person. But I feel like the Avengers have done a better job at extending their universe, creating more movies than any other franchise with and while pleasing all the fans without causing that much controversy over everything. I agree. And I read that Joe and Anthony Russo prior to making Infinity War met with the directors of uh, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, um, and a bunch of the other solo films. I think James Gunn as well um, with Guardians just to kind of talk about the characters and where they were at by the time Infinity War started. And that type of attention to detail, I think, is very important. Because like you're inevitably going to have so many filmmakers. There's 22 movies. All of them have different writers, filmmakers. But the fact that they go with go with the effort of making sure they understand where the characters are at and their motives and their objectives and their respective personalities, I think is very important in keeping the consistency throughout the franchise. Yes, I agree. All these are great points. And speaking of controversy, there has been some controversy i feel like controversy is a little bit too strong of a word but some you know dislike of the portrayal of four in this movie there's been a lot of internet discourse about that 
So I'm just curious what you guys think about that thought. He's the primary comedic relief of the film when at the same time, he's also sort of the most tragic character, which, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 50, 50 with it. I like, I like that he's dealing with all his trauma in a, in a very understandable way, especially for, you know, Thor, who historically, at least in the comics, when he was younger, had many streaks of drunken rampancy. So uh, it's just that there are moments where you get you get glimpses of him, like maybe heading in a dramatic direction, but then he just tries to quip off with a joke. Or there's just scenes with him being drunken, stupid, and goofy that just kind of overstay their welcome. For example, and I'm pretty sure I brought this up last time, uh, the scene at the end with the Guardians where uh, Thor and Quill are just going back and forth like, oh, you're, uh, no, I'm I'm the leader. No, I'm the leader. I'm like, just cut the shit, wrap it up, let's go. We got Cap's thing to get to, come on. Uh, there's there's just like a handful of moments like those that I think could you could trim down maybe get you below that three hour mark because why not? But, uh, but overall I, I still, I stand by that. I think it's a, it's a logical direction for the character because otherwise it's just, you get dark edgy Thor and that would make no sense, especially the direction the character has headed recently with like Taika Waititi making him a bit more goofy and outlandish, which that's the whole point. So him him becoming a fat drunk, I mean, no, it, it probably could have been handled a bit better. But I think for the purpose it serves in this film, I think it works. Especially and then especially when he it comes back and starts being badass at the end. Feels like a, a triumphant return to good old Thor in a way. So that's my two cents. So I had a very mixed reaction on what the internet calls fat Thor. The first time I saw it, I was very disappointed with it. I thought they ruined the character. I, I personally don't like when they just take a character and make them fat. Cause I don't think it leads to much comedy. I think it's a little bit, a little bit offensive, but in this case, there's a reason why he became fat. It's not just like, Ooh, fat's uh, fat. Thor is funny. There's so much trauma behind it. When you think about, especially that scene where Hulk says Thanos' name and he starts, and uh, Thor just like aggressively holds him. That just shows how much pain is in Thor. Everything that has happened in Thor's journey. So the idea of fat Thor, I think the joke of it is tiring. I don't think it's a really good joke because Hey, what's so funny about being fat? Let's let's not body shame here. The idea that he the like the trauma of it and the reason why he just kind of his he just went spiraling out of control is very tragic. And I, I think that it in in the end, ironically, it is a good decision that they made him fat because I think one it adds a little bit to the character. I would have never thought they would have made him fat because I always think of stories like ripped abs, strong, all that. The fact that he can be overweight and still be a total badass is pretty original in my eyes. I never, 
every time I see Thor now, I'll foul where he is at this point. Uh, I, a side note, though, I some theories of why they made him fat is I have a feeling that they made him fat just so Chris Hemsworth didn't have to get into like that six pack shape anymore because I've read there's a lot of he he said a lot of times that he's sick and tired of being every single movie he has to kind of one up himself. So the idea of making him fat, well, Chris uh, Chris Hemsworth is not going to get fat. It kind of lessens the idea of oh, you need to have Thor be in like six pack abs, which could extend uh, the actor's contract and this uh, agreeability to be the character. Now that in like if he's going to be in Guardians three, even if they have him lose some weight, he doesn't have to be in that like trainer like body model shape. He can just be like an average Joe who happens to be Thor. So as I watch the movie more and I more think about his character, I think it was a good decision to make him fat, even though they could have had his introduction be a little less of a comedy. Yeah. I kind of saw it in a couple of different perspectives the first time around. It didn't, it didn't really bother me um, because how I saw it was kind of how you guys already said was it was, he was a suppressor, right? And he was definitely kind of pushing down his feelings and, eating and drinking because he is the god of thunder and you know how he's telling everybody i'm the one who killed thanos i'm the one who killed thanos and it's almost like this duty as a god uh requires a lot of pride and it was also kind of i think it kind of represented his refusal to break that pride and admit that he was hurting that he did lose that he did feel like he lost um and i also kind of feel like it catalyzed that whole um subplot when i really enjoyed the part where he is back in 2013 asgard and he reclaims his hammer and he thinks i'm still worthy it was almost like he was surprised that he kind of fell into this deep abyss emotional abyss where he felt really um where he felt kind of ashamed of himself for not doing for not killing thanos earlier and such um so I think if they hadn't really broken him down like that and kind of showed us Thor as someone who didn't look like Thor and someone who was really secluded, um, I, I think showing him in that respect kind of made that moment moment more satisfying. And um, I don't know if anyone else thought this, but the final fight scene, I feel like he also had a, bared a lot of resemblance to his dad, um, like with the beard and just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like it was almost like, oh, he's becoming his father. Like his father was a little bit like on the overweight side too. And he had like the long hair and was like a, a warrior. And uh, I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of what came to mind. I don't know if anyone else thought that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I can understand how people were upset with it, but I also think from an actor's standpoint, I think Chris Hemsworth has really filled out in the role of Thor through a comedic pers- like aspect. Um, I think the first two Thors, I mean, he obviously did a great job, but I really think he found his footing in his comfort zone in Ragnarok. Um, so I think they still wanted to play up that strength of his uh, comedic talent. So I appreciated that. And I, I, I agree with Matt where um, he is definitely the, plays a lot of the comedic relief throughout the movie, but also has that balance of being a really tragic character. Um, so that was my perspective. As the master of puns, I really enjoy it. No, but I also agree. I think I think the other aspect of it that kind of came from Ragnarok transitioning into not necessarily into Infinity War, but I think transitioning into Endgame with that comedic aspect of Thor is that he also uses comedy to kind of bypass his emotions. 
Because there's that one scene where, and I know we talked about it last time, but there's that part where Banner's like, hey man, like you helped me out. Like this was really important. And instead of like Thor reacting emotionally, he just like makes a joke and kind of plays it off. And while like that might feel really lacking because you really want this emotional connection between these two characters, I think that is another like huge example of how Thor just like doesn't really cope and instead is like jokes and like, other things and like passing it off as that versus like actually having emotion or actually dealing with that emotion of what's going on and what's happening underneath him. So like not ignoring, but like even on top of like the whole depression aspect of like drinking a lot and all of that, I think his like humor coupled with that kind of makes him into this, like trying to be emotionless character, which I think then kind of, comes into play later when again they're in Asgard and even before he he gets the hammer back is his lack of being able to talk to Jane and then like desperately needing to talk to his mom I think that really catalyzes his transformation into this like powerful warrior we see again at the end like that's the Thor that we all know and are well aware of but we haven't really seen him deal with any of the trauma of his dad dying his mom dying his sister dying I believe Loki dying, like his entire family is gone. Thor is essentially an orphan, but like, unless you go in like thinking about that, you're not going to think about that because he doesn't really acknowledge it until that one part when they're talking about um, the ether and he's like, oh yeah, they're dead and we're not dating. So I think that also comes into play and that's like a huge other part that I think Hemsworth played really well on top of that is just saying like, okay, Thor does have all these emotions, but he's supposed to be like this strong macho god of thunder. So he can't, or god of lightning, whatever he is. Um, So he can't kind of have emotions and have all of these like more, you know, deeper emotions. He can't even deal with like the trauma because he feels like he should have done something sooner. And instead of like dealing with the failure, like everyone else does. So I really love the scene with his mom. I think that that is a great like addition to the Thor lore that we see in the mcu as with uh, thor's mom's scene i think i think that was a very touching scene i was never expecting them to go back to the relationship with thor and his mom i thought that was very sweet i liked it how she instantly knew that he was from the future and he wasn't her thor uh i also liked it how he really felt like that really helped him that was the the kind of kick in the ass he needed to get and go and like stop being the little uh mopey depressed Thor and actually being the inspiration she gave him the inspiration he needed to kind of go and be the, the the god he is destined to be yeah I totally didn't expect for that I mean obviously I didn't expect for that scene to happen in the first place the first time going in but I also didn't expect to be as impacted as I was uh, with that conversation between the two I totally agree with Colin with saying that that conversation was exactly what he needed because um, I mean, again, he had lost everybody and for him finding that glimmer of hope seemed impossible. So the fact that he had the opportunity to go back and talk to his mom and feel inspired and then reclaim his beloved hammer. I think that was uh, integral to his character and bouncing back and being able to stand up to Thanos once again and feel that confidence that they, they could him and the rest of the Avengers could defeat him. Matt, any extra additions to this discussion? No. Uh, uh, to Maite's point about uh, 
badass looking Thor at the end, kind of looking like uh, Odin. I, I think that is the kind of the point is to give him a a Viking god type of uh, look there. I love like the like the braided beard and all that. I think it was really cool. I did love like the very comic book accurate suits they incorporated into this movie. Like even the Iron Man suit, um, I felt like it was very very accurate. The scales on Cap suit um, was awesome. Captain Marvel suit, the haircut. Her haircut got some cheers the first time I saw the movie, which was awesome because I'm like, you get it, <laughs> like you know. She looks so good with the short I hair. I was like, yes, and, like the sash and the costume. It was just uh, I, I really liked that. Again, the attention to detail really really was awesome speaking of attention to details uh drumming over to the rumor mill for a little bit and because you mentioned short hair caldamas and the i think of the first scene we see that in and then i think oh yeah remember when okoye is talking about underwater earthquakes and now everyone's like hey is that namor i sure hope it is Maybe. Apparently Howard the Duck had a cameo yes, and I missed that. Has. Okay, he did. Okay, I need to look for that this next time. I just I can't imagine Wait, where was that cameo? When all of the uh when like the Ravagers and all the armies come in at the end, it's it's when the wasp shows up on the scene. Like the bottom right of the screen, he's mixed in with a ton of the Ravagers. It's it's hard to miss. You like you wouldn't think to you're, you're going to be more focused on looking at the wasp show up again. So you blink and you miss it. I noticed it the last time I saw it and I like, I, it's no joke. He's on for one second. I, I'm just imagining him like charging into battle along the ravagers and like the Wakandan army. <laughs> and eating shit and dying. Yeah. What can Howard the duck I do? Yeah. I, it's funny, they could do a three-hour movie just on that final climax with every single character. What did each single person do? Cat Howard or Duck have a little comedic thing. Oh. Valkyrie oh. on her uh, Pegasus? Uh, yeah, Beautiful. Speaking of the final battle, I came across a video yesterday um, on YouTube from uh, YouTuber Nando V Movies. And it's, it's titled Changing the Endgame. And I got to say, I think this guy is like 100% correct in, in what he says. He says how at the end, Captain Marvel should not carry the gauntlet the, like all the way. And it should be Nebula instead. Yeah, I've seen some stuff about that. And I kind of agree. I think Nebula and Gamora didn't really play a part in the end of Thanos in the way that I feel like they should have. Especially because like... Nebula especially, but even Gamora, like, granted, this isn't the same Gamora who was in the other movies, which time travel's confusing, guys. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, like, she still has dealt with being a quote-unquote daughter of Thanos for however long she's been with him in this timeline. But, you know, like, she still has dealt with all of his killing all of his attacking worlds, all of that, the same way Nebula has. So I agree. I think Gamora and Nebula, I'm fine with the way that like Tony and Cap and Thor kind of took him on. But at the end, like I still think that there could have been the chance for Gamora and Nebula to like participate in that more. And yeah, that inserting them into the gauntlet carrying scene 
aspect uh, definitely works a lot better for me than some of the other theories I've seen. So I agree. I'm just imagining uh, during that scene where like everyone's kind of like with Thanos almost getting the gauntlet and every single person like kind of like getting it and then like she throwing them away. I think it would have been cool if they had either Nebula or Gamora go for the gauntlet and then Thanos kind of hesitates to attack them because they love them. Probably more uh, Nebula because they try, they were kind of hinting at that, that Thanos actually kind of had a soft spot for Nebula. I was, I never realized that you all have a, yeah, you have a good point. I never thought that they just forgot to finish, to wrap up that storyline. They really should have had a bigger role in that climax. And maybe just because everything was like, there was so much going on. I didn't realize that, yeah, that would have been really cool to kind of have their story wrap up with causing Thanos' demise. The idea that uh, the video I watched it puts forth is, is yeah, is it, it's a better way to, yeah, like wrap up the, the arc in a way. Um, and he, he points out this really clever bit how, how the gauntlet essentially acts as a football at the end. And if you think about it, the last two people to touch the gauntlet other than Thanos would be Nebula and Stark, who started the movie playing the paper football. So it would be like, a, you know, oh, and then it would end the same way. I'm I'm learning a lot today. That's some great foreshadowing. Wow. I am learning a lot. Yeah. Shout out to this guy on YouTube for coming up with these for sure. But that's a great idea. This... I take no credit for these ideas. I take no credit. It's, it's, uh, Nando V movies. We're giving you like free, uh, spot, like, uh, yeah. Free publicity. Take advantage. (laughs) I hope he listens. No, he makes good shit. I advise, I advise you guys try to go find that video because it's a good one. And then, and then it doesn't, and it also, it doesn't rob you of that awesome women of Marvel scene either. Cause then you still get that, but then the threat of it isn't like sort of wasted on Captain, Mar- cause Captain Marvel, it's like, Peter asks, Hey, what are you going to do? How are you going to get through that army? I'm like, she's going to fly right through it. That's what she's going to do. If you have Nebula carrying that gauntlet and then all of the others show up, then that suddenly becomes all the more badass, you know, then you get more, you could have another scene of captain marvel fighting thanos and then like her actually almost winning the same way scarlet witch almost did Gah. but still but still i think the way it, it is now is fine it's also a bit briefer now because i'm sure if you did it the like if nebula carries it it would probably play out a bit longer which in that case that scene might overstay its welcome uh, and there's enough of there's enough of like those in this film as it is so but you know it's just an idea that I, I think would would definitely work. But what we got is just just fine. So I just I was I was curious what everyone else might think of that. So Matt, you bring up you bring up that that uh woman march that uh the uh women of Marvel scene. I wanted to ask all of you about them. It, I mean it, it sort of is a women's march in a way. Like, yeah, I, I would yeah, so you know what, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You ask about the women's march of Marvel scene and i think and i want to ask you all like what did you think of that scene because i i i took it as like hey we had captain marvel this year like hey this is the first female marvel movie and like oh like hoorah and 
while Captain Marvel is great, I think that scene just declares like Marvel's been doing this a lot longer. They, I, every time a new uh, female superhero came up, I'm like, oh yeah, they do have a lot of strong female characters and a lot of like what could have been a. I, I remember uh, Joe and you talk about this in the last podcast. Um, what could have been like a bit of a force scene turned out as like one of the strongest scenes in the movie. There was nothing about it that I felt like had like a political agenda or was trying to be sexist or anything. I think that scene was very empowering and inspiring to everyone, not just girls, but also men. I think it's a very cool scene that really, it really shows you that. And all this talk of like, Oh yeah, there's no, that Captain Marvel is the first female superhero. This scene just shows you like, hey, nope, we had these heroes way before it and we're going to have even more coming forward. And I think that's great. Yeah, I know Jordan and I have a podcast on this coming up, so <laughs> I don't want to dig, dig too deep into it. But um, I will say that that scene was pretty awesome. Again, it, it did remind me too that like Marvel has had a lot of really awesome uh, female superhero characters. And um, again, like kind of, restating what we've said a couple times before is like if you had told me like 10 years ago I would see like all these women these female superheroes on the big screen uh fighting side by side against Thanos like I would have never believed you so I think it's also just a testament to like depicting female superheroes on the on screen and doing such a good job with it and I think it also says a lot about the future of Marvel and about more, you know, inclusion and representation. I think it, it's awesome. I mean, the first time I watched that, I watched Endgame, people were cheering when you kind of realize what's happening, like all of these like powerful women walking together. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it definitely had me jumping in my seat. It was, it was really cool. Although second time around, I, I, I know, like I, I particularly spotted Mantis and I'm like, <laughs> What is she going to do here? What is your problem with Mantis? Nothing. It's just that she doesn't... What's wrong with Mantis? I, d- I did notice, though, like, when Doctor Strange comes out with Drax in her and Star-Lord, and she's, like, staring, she's, like standing in, like, a fighting stance, and I'm like... <laughs> like... She has, like, no fighting experience as far as we've seen in all of her appearances, so I'm like, she going to be okay <laughs> here? <laughs> she I mean, won't she's fight fine. She's fine. <laughs> I mean, she did hold him down once, though. I mean, come on. She's not, you know? But, like, she's good at, like, mental manipulation and, like, and that, and, the, like, emotional manipulation. Like, that's her power set, which is cool. But we still have yet to see her, like, go hand-to-hand combat sort of stuff. Until I see that, I'm, like, I, I think I might have to call some BS that she survived that I don't little think that's, that's there. not her character. But her character's not about strength. It's about the mind. A lover, not a fighter. She is a lover, but not a fighter. That is the perfect way to describe Mantis. We've never seen Howard the Ducks fighting style either, so you know there's there's a lot to learn. <laughs> so if we're ranking characters, we have Howard the Duck at the bottom, yeah, and right okay. above him, Mantis. <laughs> okay. Fair, but okay. I know I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I would put like down there, but uh, that's not a fighter. Like who's like not a worthy fighter? Yeah. Um, I mean, Rocket. No, no Rocket, what? No. He carries around that giant gun. What are you talking about? I'm thinking about, like, hand-to-hand combat. No, we're talking about, like, yeah. any type of combat. Oh, okay. Oh, I was with I was with you, Maite. I thought we were strictly speaking hand-to-hand. And I was like... Because you get power the duck of Bazooka, and he can do a lot of damage. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, but like, assumably, Howard the Duck isn't going into that last fight with a bazooka, whereas we know Rocket is. I would have loved to see director's cut. <laughs> they didn't add anything else to the movie except him. Russo Brothers, please give the fans what they want. We were talking about kind of fighting and the end scene, but I also kind of want to talk about the survivor's guilt because I think that is a huge aspect of at least the beginning, like half-ish of the movie with kind of... The first act. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's three acts. So the first third of the movie then, if we're going like that. Uh, But I think that that kind of is a huge driving factor. And I know some people feel like the beginning of the movie slows down, but that's really where you get to see all of that survivor's guilt. So what do you guys think? Was it true to all of our not... All of the characters who survived the snap, did you think their reactions to that were true? I mean, we already talked about Thor a little bit, so we don't necessarily have to get into him, but kind of like Cap and Nat and Iron Man and uh, Hawkeye. That's his name. Uh, I guess he was Ronan in this movie, but yeah. Uh, I think the first act of the movie is very... They go. The first act of this movie goes very deep into the aftermath, the second part of one story. And if you think of it as that, I think it's a very effective uh, uh, transition to from the snap, the 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 actual trauma of all those characters pretty much dust in to the aftermath of it and how these characters react and what they do with it, what they do with that information. I really liked it how the first hour of the movie is dedicated to showing how each of these characters react to this, uh, to the loss of all these lives. Uh, you mentioned, I love it how Cap, I love it how Cap, he has it to where he, he is completely devastated with the, the snap and how he really can't do anything about it over those five years. But also like it as it's Captain America he is out there trying to spread positivity in the world with those, with those, um, the, uh, the group meeting that he has, uh, in the, uh, gymnasium and how, when he first, uh, when he goes up to Nat, as she's like kind of breaking down a little bit, she, he tries to add a positive spin to it, which kind of annoys her. I think that's so what Captain would do. Uh, as for uh, Natasha, I think she was the strongest ever. I think she has been the strongest in this movie than in any of other movies because she has so much heartbreak over not only the people that they lost, but also with Clint who has gone down the wrong path and she really can't do anything about it. I think they really did a fantastic job elaborating on how each of these characters react to the news. And especially after their, uh, their battle with Thanos and how they lost a second time. I think that was very powerful. Maite, what do you think? Can you reiterate the question again? Survivor's guilt, was it true to their character? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we kind of went over this with Thor. Uh, That was his method of suppressing his guilt and also his uh, shame at not going for the head the first time around. Um, I think Cap, uh, forgive me if I'm repeating anything you've said because I could very easily be doing that. Um, But I think Cap, you know, continuing to help people at a pers- like at a personal level, going to those meetings and such, um, I feel like that was really accurate to him too. Uh, being really selfless and always trying to instill hope in a hopeless world. Um, and like you said, you see that with Nat and um, 
I mean, I guess we don't really see a lot with how Hulk handles it, besides the fact that he just kind of merged his personas. Um, and then, of course, Ronan, I feel like, was very accurate, but being a family man and um, always working, uh, you know, to protect his family, uh, I, I feel like that was really accurate. Um, but I, I think that was, I think it was really important to show that, and I'm really glad they did. And again, I think that also... Uh, gives um i think it also kind of shows i think the pacing of the film did a really good job of depicting that and i think that first act that somber first act was incredibly necessary because it also made the payoff at the end very very uh epic and uh worthwhile um because i mean how often have we seen i mean we haven't really seen our our heroes at a loss like that um it's the first time they've really lost in this whole franchise and seeing them deal with that it, it was very glum and it it, it kind of scares you because you're kind of like what's going to happen how are they going to how are they going to possibly come back together and reform the avengers when they're all at such different states and tony um kind of isolating himself and just being with his family um you know i i think they handled that really well and i i'm glad they showed us that how each of them manage the guilt um, because it also kind of gives their characters more dimensionality. I mean, it's something that we haven't seen them experience before. So it makes them more human. Um, it kind of gives a level of realism that we have in the franchise until now. Um, and again, it really makes that payoff at the end really rewarding um, with that first, that somber first act and kind of the build up in the second act. And then finally the, the victory in the third act. I think it's funny. You mentioned how we don't, necessarily on the surface see a lot of the Hulk dealing with any guilt but I think that's like he's like Thor in a way in that he's found like uh, another shield to hide behind like he he be like yeah he merges like he becomes like Professor Hulk Doc Green whatever the fuck you want to call him but I think it's it's all sort of a a guise to what he's really feeling that like when, when he says in his first scene, you know, like we all lost, but I, but I got it worse because first the Hulk lost, then banner lost. I, and like, and he carries, he's, he says like, all right, he still carries all the guilt with him. Um, that he doesn't show it, I think is him, I guess maybe like dealing with his emotions, like a hell of a lot better than someone like say Thor has done. Um, but I think it's, you still can, it's still like the, the amount of, I guess, guilt behind Hulk still resonates well enough. Um, not that it has to be the, maybe the driving factor of the character, though it, it could certainly be, but it's, it's still there as for Tony. He's, I think, the the best example of someone who's moved on because, like, he, he hardly gives it a second. He is hardly giving it a second thought uh, until, you know, Cap, Natasha, and uh, Scott show up. And then it's like he's pulled right back into the this whole thing. And then, boom, he figures out time travel in the matter of, like, an evening, which I still... Still question the validity of that because if he could do it so quickly, why didn't he do it sooner? Unless he just didn't care to do it because it was never on his mind, which is completely valid. 
He's got other shit going on. Well, I don't think it's that he didn't care. I think it kind of goes back to him being like, well, we got lucky. And so I don't need to help everyone. Partially. I think also part of it is like the quantum realm was never an actual thing that they were really aware of until Scott was like, Hey, quantum realm, let's do a time heist. And Tony's like, no, (laughs) and it's like, uh, try again. But then like that does get him going. But that also makes me like, want to say that he isn't actually moved on in the same way. Like if you're moved on, then you don't want to be dragged back in most of the time. But like, assumedly, as soon as the other Avengers left, Tony goes in and is like already starting to work out the problem of time travel. I mean, we don't know how long it takes, but assumedly it's the same day. Like it doesn't take him that much longer to kind of be like, actually, you know what? I might be able to crack this. And now that I have an option, like, I figured it out and I can't let it go regardless of what, like, I feel like I should, or maybe like, I don't have to help everyone else. Like we got lucky who cares if everyone else didn't, but that's not really who Tony Stark is anymore. That like big asshole person. He's not really him anymore. He's kind of changed. And that a is shown in the movie and B like kind of makes me again, be like, well, has he actually moved on or is he just putting on a really good show? I want to revisit what you said about the Hulk because I feel like uh, his storyline, and I know Mark Ruffalo said this too, where it's been kind of developed, His at least the character's arc has been developed over the course of the Avengers films because obviously he's only had one solo film back in 2008 with a different actor. Um, but I I think it's it's interesting to see how his relationship with the Hulk evolves and how it's kind of surrounding his search for purpose and why the Hulk is a part of him. Because you see with the first movie, he's suppressing it. He's like, I don't want to turn to the Hulk. I don't want to turn into Hulk. And it's him kind of fighting um, that side of him. And then at the end of the movie um, in 2008, you see him obtaining control. And you kind of see that in the Avengers. And then in Age of Ultron, um, when Scarlet Witch kind of takes control of his mind, he loses control again. So there's always that tension going back and forth. And you kind of see that conflict where he doesn't understand uh why Hulk is a part of him and he doesn't understand how to kind of maintain the tension between those two personas. And I think in Endgame, I think merging those personas made him think that that was the solution and um, that that was kind of the final piece of the puzzle. But I did love when he like sees the gauntlet that Tony made and he was like, I was made for this. It's made of gamma radiation and that's kind of what made me. so I really love that that came full circle and that he, um, even though he had merged those two personas, I, I don't completely know if he was at peace um, completely with the Hulk. And I think in that moment where he kind of realized that the Hulk could be a force for good and that it was something that could be um, acting in harmony with Banner I, and for the purpose of bringing back all those people, I, I thought that was a really beautiful way to revisit that original Hulk uh, arc and close it out. So I got a question about time travel. Okay, so, and I listened to the last podcast. You guys talk about uh, the continuity and how time travel works. I was really, really liked how they handled time travel in this movie. And especially at the end with Captain America going back as an old man. There was some controversy of how that happened. How I view that, how that happened was, so Cap, uh, Cap with Thor's hammer, he went back in time. He returned all the Infinity Stones and he returned Thor's hammer to 2013. Then he went back to the moment where 
he went into the ice and he lived out his life with Peggy and that ultimate universe. He lived out an ultimate universe with Peggy, uh, lived his life. Peggy died. So then he returned back to our time and and met up with Falcon and and gave him the shield. Uh, I, I think that was a very, I think the ending of the movie, um, it didn't really clarify about how that happened. Cause I see a lot of people were confused about, how old man cap made it back especially when they made it clear that continuity wasn't changed what did you guys think about how they brought cap back uh in that moment i'm gonna let mike go first if she has thoughts because i already sort of talked about this but i have i have more to say on this so Maite, if you have anything to say, please. In regards to the how it affected the plot i mean i loved that he lived a life with peggy and i loved how he came back kind of closing out his role as captain america and I mean, in regards to the time travel, it, I, I don't know. I didn't really think too hard about it. I think uh, the problem I have with a lot of people these days is like they think too hard about movies sometimes and like logistics and stuff. And then it kind of ruins it. And I don't know. It's yeah, I think there needs to be some suspension of reality, especially when you're watching a movie that has purple aliens and, you know, flying hammers and such. Like, just like calm down and try to think about it too much. Um, but with that, I mean, I think they explained it well in regard how time travel works in that in that franchise and in that film i mean obviously you watch other films and tv shows with time travel like um, flash and they handle things very differently and it's much more problematic but i think for the sake of this film and the sake of the storyline i think it worked and i think it's just best to don't try to like work out the math of it um and the logistics just kind of go with it and don't think too hard about it. Cause you know, I don't know, don't apply too much realism to a fictional film. It just kind of ruins it. So that's my, that's, that's the tea. As a, as a dude who likes science, I feel like obligated to bring like a scientific eye. When a film starts talking time travel and you have Tony Stark specifically bringing up theories in quantum physics i feel like i have to take like a a mindful eye to this kind of thing but you're absolutely right like there is a certain point where you have to just say you have to turn your brain off and just go with it and i think that that's really easy to do in this film because they they pretty much get it right with their time travel so in that regard for me it is very easy to just let this fly and just let it do what it does also especially because the time travel, as I said in the last podcast, is the one of the film's best storytelling tools because it gives you all these tremendous moments, whether they be emotional, comedic, or just like downright awesome. Hail uh, Hydra. <laughs> um, um, but to go back to Colin's theory on <laughs> on Cap time traveling. Con, I'm straight up going to, I straight up think your theory is wrong. The way I think, so the way I think it happened, controversy, (laughs) I think it, and I I sort of said this last time, but I'm going to try to do a better job of explaining it here. I think it's that, so you have present day Cap, goes back in time, puts the stones back, puts Mjolnir back, And he goes back to live with Peggy Carter. But I think at the point where Cap lands in the past is a point where in Peggy Carter's present, Cap is already in the ice. 
that still happened. So Cap goes back to where he is, quote unquote, still in the ice, but no, he's still there. And he lives out his life with Peggy Carter in the background, not doing anything, just living his life and sort of being a secret. And then it's like time goes on as it does. Nothing changes in the timeline. Peggy Carter is basically just keeping one of the world's greatest secrets. And then the moment in Endgame when you see present day Cap go back in time, you have old man Rogers comes back in and now he's basically caught up with himself. That's what I think it was. I could be now I could be completely wrong. This is just like, that's what I thought it was. I don't know what like Colin, Colin please debate me. <laughs> I think you are respectfully wrong. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, no, Kinda. I called you out. Please, uh, by I think all means, that, call me out. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, uh, I think uh, I think your theory would be uh, very true if it wasn't for the fact that by Cap going back and living a life with Peggy, that would require Peggy to still because he says uh, Pe- Peggy Carter remarries after. Um, or did Cap she goes into the ice? It's it's revealed and that's the thing. Or did she? That's a good point. They never showed it. I feel like you know what the I feel how I see it though is that because they indicate that that the time that if you go back in time, it's not going to affect the present. So I feel that even with if Cap went back in time. And he and it's and he still matched the continuity of the entire series. I think that would have them be going against their own rules that they set up because how I always see it as which is going to go into uh, my thoughts on uh, Disney Plus. I'll get to that in a second. Um, I think that the whole idea of the time travel and the alternate universes doesn't affect the continuity we have going forward. So I don't think that I think that the old man Cap is a time traveler and not the same exact cap that's been living there for 40, uh, 70 years. Um, going into my theory on Disney plus, I think that there's been rumors that uh, there's going to be a, what if series on uh, Marvel on Marvel things. So what if a character did this and that, I think the way that they just set it up to do these, what if stories is by these ultimate dimensions. So in the case in this movie, what if Captain America didn't get the super soldier scarum and it was Bucky who did it and their roles reversed. So I think that's how they could explain. I think the time travel in this movie was less to kind of, it was less to set up that ending and more to set up uh, like what if stories that they're going to do as a TV series. I can see both of you guys' points. That being said, time travel makes my brain hurt and talking about it for too long makes me tired. So, <laughs> um, no, but I did want to say the one thing that they never actually really address in the whole explanation of time travel. And I listened very closely the second time I saw it just so I could see if my point about this was correct. And I think it is, but the one thing they never actually address is what happens if you leave something that wasn't in the timeline in there. And so like they talked about it wouldn't affect the present and like all of that, but they never were like, hey, so if one of us just like sticks around because A, that would give up the movie and B, that'd be like a really random thing to ask in the middle of this movie. But I think in that 
gray area is where you could probably find some explanation for this. That being said, I think everyone is thinking about it too hard, including the two guys that we have on this podcast right now. Just accept that it made it a good movie. Just accept that this is how they chose to end Captain America's, you know, storyline. I would much rather him go out like this than die tremendously in battle because I'll be honest, Thanos like super punched him one time and I was like, oh, he's dead. But then he got up like later and I was like, all right, all right, we're good. Just kidding. He's not dying yet. (laughs) So, you know. I think time travel is one of those things that everyone kind of just needs to accept. I know that there are very smart science brains out there who will try to debate this, which I'm fine with, but like, I don't need to keep debating it. I just accept it. Suspension of reality. But I totally get both of you guys' points as far as all of that goes. Um, so I uh, was reading some comments about who Cap gave the shield to at the end of the film, because of course Sam and both Bucky have carried the Captain America mantle. So how did you feel? Because I, I read some people kind of wished uh, uh, Cap had a moment with Bucky at the end of the film. Um, so I kind of wanted y'all's perspective on that and uh, what lies ahead for the next Captain America. I think Bucky and Cap did have a moment. They had that moment right before we went into the time machine where Bucky knew what that Cap was going to stay back in the past. So they did have that little moment. I like the fact that Bucky that the entire I liked it that the entire series was setting up that Bucky was going to be the next Captain America, where every time he showed up, he'd be holding Cap Shield. I like the fact that they uh instead they had it to where Falcon's gonna be the new Captain America. I thought that was something that I wasn't expecting. I was really the entire time thinking, okay, Bucky's gonna be the new Captain America. So when Falcon looked back, when Sam looked back and and Bucky did that little nod, I found that so satisfying because like okay we have both steve rogers approves of sam and bucky approves of sam to be the next captain america which i think is cool yeah i talked about it um kind of at length on the last podcast about why i think this was the best way to do it but as far as everything else that goes on in that scene i am conflicted because i loved how that scene ended up but i also would have loved another interaction with bucky but also like i understand that Bucky kind of didn't need that in the same way that Sam did. Um, I think the connection between Steve and Bucky at that point was like, okay, dude, like I get it. We don't have to talk again. Like I totally understand. Versus Sam was like, wait, where is Captain America? Like what happened to Steve? Where did he go? Why is he not back? And so I definitely think that that end connection between Steve and Sam was perfect. Uh, And adding another interaction with Bucky, I think would have made it just too convoluted for that like simple ending that kind of was needed at that point in time. Um, I will say that I didn't actually think about Bucky like fully approving of Sam in the same way that you said that Colin. And I love that so much, so much. I love that so much. Um, I was thinking of it more like, all right, like it's cool, like comforting, like go for it. Like, I got your back, which I guess is similar to like accepting, but I wasn't really thinking about it in that way. Just, I was thinking about it more in their like partnership, especially with their show that's going to be coming out on Disney plus with the two of them and kind of their role there. Which reminds me, I have to tell my theory because I told Jordan this and the others on the last podcast, but I have to tell my Tay and Colin, my theory is that Falcon and the winter soldier, there's going to be two, one of two things. 
either a they're going to wait a little while longer for the movie to be like public knowledge and then they're going to change the title of that show and it'll be cap in the winter soldier because by that point falcon will be cap it'll be either that or it'll just be he'll still be sam will still be falcon and the show will kind of be about him working with bucky as he's becoming cap and then by the time maybe the show is like the series is done or the season whatever like then we'll he'll show up in the movies again and he'll properly be captain america something like that that's my theory i can totally see that and i so i had initially expected bucky to be cap i mean i had this red death of captain america prior to endgame uh so that's kind of my mindset going into it because i kind of figured that cap would pass in the sh- to somebody um so when he when cap gave it to sam i was like oh interesting and then i kind of started thinking about how bucky has always kind of lived in shadows i mean he was either kind of in Cap's shadow or he was kind of following somebody else's uh rules so he's never really been his own person or character until kind of the recent, I mean, I think maybe even Civil War, post-Civil War films. So I think him becoming Captain America kind of would have taken away a little bit from his agency, in my opinion. Um, so I'm kind of glad that he didn't get the shield because now we can kind of see Bucky as a reformed winner soldier and kind of come into his own character. Um, so with that, I, I think it was pretty appropriate for Sam to get it. Good fucking point. Yeah, that's a great point. Because oh, I, the moment you started saying it, I'm like, I know where this is going, and I completely agree. I mean, I guess he's like the white wolf now. Yeah, yeah I was going to throw that out there, which I think is another interesting addition to the Bucky lore. So you can call it Captain America, Captain America and the White Wolf. Yeah, that sounds like a book title. <laughs> Never mind. Matt, I really like your theory because uh, I think that it would make for a really cool reveal for the plot it would make a really cool reveal for the pilot because they can advertise the show as Falcon and Bucky, uh, all the advertising and all that, the ads, everything. So then when the pilot comes up, they can just simply change it to Captain America and Bucky. And then onward, everyone will know it's the show is called, uh, Captain America and Bucky. Or like you say, they wait until it's public knowledge that Falcon is going to be Captain America and just go from there. Uh, but I do think that I feel there would need to be something to indicate that it's not going to be the Captain America that we, that if, because I could see a lot of people be confused if they didn't see Endgame, which looking at the box office, I don't think anyone has not, I think everyone's seen Endgame at this point. Uh, but if they decide to do that show, I think they would have to wait a year or two until Endgame is truly just public knowledge. To where when you say Captain America, you're going to think that Anthony Mackie is going to play him and not Chris Evans. That's also crazy to think. Like, I feel like Anthony Mackie was like, I've seen him in a, a large handful of roles, like other than like his stuff for the MCU. But I feel like even then he was like very much a, I don't want to say B-list because that really underplays his talent and where he actually stands as an actor. But I feel like he's, he's a little bit of a sidekick. Yeah. Yeah, and now th- this has la- like launched him in a great way, and I think he deserves it for like because I think because I think he has so much talent that putting him in a lot of side roles, you don't get to see a lot of it. So now, if he get, if he stars a Captain America movie, or at least has a central role as Captain America in another Marvel movie, 
that's great like great for him yeah i think the character can be very fleshed out uh i think it's a great character to give more focus on i think anthony mackie has plenty of charm to spare i think he could be really good leading man and especially teaming up with bucky uh seeing their dynamic in civil war i th- I I really I would be really excited to see the show, even if I wasn't already a Marvel fan, simply because the chemistry those two actors have on screen and off screen is very strong, and I can't wait to see what Marvel's gonna what's gonna happen with Marvel post home uh, far from home. So tangentially related to that, the Vision and Scarlet Witch show apparently is taking place in the fifties, and also they didn't bring him back in Endgame, which was, I guess, if I had one minor gripe with the film, it'd be that they didn't bring back Visions. I really wanted to see him come back. Um, So what do y'all think about that, and how do you think they will address that? I thought he would come back as White Vision. Me too! Damn it! (laughs) I was surprised he didn't come back, but I'm not particularly upset he didn't. Like, because he's one of the the permanent deaths. Pretty much anyone who's died of who died a permanent death, not from the snap is still dead. Uh, so in that, in that regard, like I was like, yeah, I, I really would have liked to see vision come back, especially because there's so much more to do with his character. But I figured like, that's the point of the show. Although I didn't, I didn't hear it would be in the fifties. That's weird. I actually got a question for you. So one of the times when I saw it, uh, at the end, when uh, Clint is talking to Wanda in front of the lake, she says something. Uh, Clint says something like, "I hope Natasha knows that we won." And Vision goes, "Yeah, I think they both do." And Scarlet Witch. Yeah, Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch. So the first time I saw it, I took that as Scarlet Witch implying a little hint at Quicksilver. It's like, "Hey, they both know." But then, the, but then I totally forgot about Vision. So then the second time I realized like, okay, she could also be mean in vision, which I think she meant vision. But do you think there's any uh, credibility to where she could have been talking about like how after their entire adventure with um, Scarlet Witch being so close with Quicksilver back in Age of Ultron that she could be referring to Quicksilver and saying, hey, listen, they both know me and my brother knows that I'm where I'm at right now. I don't think so. Cause he had no, he, I should say like he had no, he was dead. He had no stake in everything that just happened. Uh, I think, I think vision is more at the forefront of your mind or everyone's mind. Yeah. Right. I suspect, I suspect he would be clearly not because I think I've heard it. I've heard, I think you might be like second or third person. I've heard say that though, that they thought maybe he was, she was referring to someone else, maybe Quicksilver. Um, I like I immediately thought Vision, but maybe it's not as apparent as I thought it was. I think I'm in the minority of thinking that it could Quicksilver because she meant Vision, but I'm thinking kind of more as like her character journey from Age of Ultron to now. I think there's it would be a little interesting to for it to imply that she meant Quicksilver, but I I can't I wouldn't be the lead in argument here. She I. Not more likely than not, she's referring to Vision. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't think about it being Quicksilver, but I will say that the very first time, the 
only because Clint was talking about Nat. I was like, oh, she's talking about Gamora. Then I was like, no, it's very obviously vision or like vision is who Scarlet Witch would be talking about. But just because like Clint was talking about, yes, like the way Natasha died, I was just like clipping into the thought about Gamora dying in the same way, which I don't think was intended at all. Like I could get the Quicksilver argument more than I could even get the Gamora argument, but that's just kind of what I thought the first time I saw it. Yeah, I I definitely thought of Vision, and I think also it was supposed. I think it was a pretty powerful moment when you think about it because I think it's also if you, if you're thinking about the concept of like souls, you know, like with uh, Hawkeye saying like, yeah, Natasha, I wish there's a way or she knows that she, we won or something. And then Scarlet Witch saying the same thing about Vision, despite the fact that he was an android um, and he doesn't have a soul, I guess, objectively. I think that was also pretty powerful because she always thought of him as more than just an android and somebody who had who did have a soul and had feelings and such. So um, I thought it was a pretty powerful way to point that out about his character. And you can hear about that on our podcast about Vision. I was actually thinking about that, though, because I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to make another Vision um purely because of how like in the comics it's not that hard for him to make copies of himself essentially but at the same time the way he was set up in the mcu was like a lot more complicated than the way he's been set up in comics at least like the creation part so it doesn't surprise me i guess that their tv show is gonna be set in the 50s except for the fact that like scarlet witch didn't exist in the 50s unless it's an alternate reality thing in which case it has to be I yeah like that's the only explanation right like there's not maybe she time travels I don't know there's so much that can go on Maite what have you done now I have to go look this up and I have to I'm I'm just I'm just a messenger here I I, I'm just as confused as y'all are but again I mean there's also the Loki show I mean there's there's a lot that hasn't been explained in regard to what they're doing with these Disney Plus shows. I mean, the Loki one makes sense, kind of. I mean, that one's set up a little bit more, I guess. I don't know. I agree, though, that there has not been a lot of information, but I also don't blame Disney for that because, well, we don't want in-game spoil, but also, like, I'd still probably watch it, even if I didn't know what the show was about, except for these main characters. I'm surprised the film didn't have... This is going off topic, but you saying you're talking about what the future holds for the MCU. I'm surprised there wasn't any kind of end credit or post credit scene in front of Avenger uh, in front of Endgame. I thought I was really confident there was going to be, so I was a little disappointed. I'm not. I was. I think when I, when I initially heard that there wasn't going to be anything, I was like, "What?" But then I thought about it a little more and. I had some help from my brother. My brother's really good about talking comics with me. Uh, he he points out like this is sort of this is the end of the Infinity Saga. This is the end of this bit. And then I think about that a bit more and more, and I'm like, yeah, there there shouldn't be anything. Let the let the next phase and the next saga be its own thing. In in like loose terms of course like we're keeping continuity but whatever they build to next shouldn't be built off of the the stones or thanos or whatever else it should just be its own thing which i think is weird that far from home will be the next one 
But yeah, I don't know. Because I, I think Guardians was supposed to be next, but then Marvel and Disney did a stupid. And then so now that's it's weird. But I don't know. But going back to your point about there not being an end credit scene, I saw, I guess it was like a clip of an interview with the Rooster Brothers where they said, this is the first time we're not thinking about what's coming next. And that really like got me. I was like, oh my gosh, they like are prepared for this. Like, yeah. but I mean, prepared. yeah, they were, they were ready for for this but at the same time that like statement is so true like yes of course we all are looking towards the next marvel stuff because of course we are but at the same time everyone knew going in like this is the end of something huge i mean it had kind of been marketed that way anyway and the fact that it had been split up into these two movies also kind of added to that but it was like the last 10, 11 years of our lives, of these actors' lives, of this movie franchise going through, like all that stuff. So we knew it was all like coming together in an end. And I think it would almost cheapen the effect of what's going to come next if we already were like saying, okay, well, this like really emotional, impactful movie ends and you like watch all of the like main six characters, well, everyone's, but like those six characters, like big end credits, like roll across the screen. And then it's like, okay, but like moving on past those guys and this is what we have next. Like that just kind of cheapens everything. Like it cheapens the movie. And I think it would cheapen like what comes next. Cause I mean, Spider-Man is coming next. We already know that. But at the same time, like, we don't know what we know somewhat what's going to happen in that movie, but we don't know what the next 10, 20 years of the MCU is going to look like. And so leaving that as like that blank slate out there, I love them kind of just like letting it go and saying, okay, we're going to recognize what has kind of led up to this point versus like what we're also going moving forward from here. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I also think I know uh, far from home is technically still the last movie in phase three, because I think, I mean, obviously the Infinity Saga and those 22 movies culminate with Endgame. Um, I think Far From Home will be like, I think the only MCU film post Endgame that'll probably directly reference and interact with what happened in Endgame, in my opinion. I mean, maybe the the next Guardians, but um, again, I think the next Guardians will kind of be more of like kicking off the next phase, especially if Thor is going to be heavily involved. I think Far From Home is going to deal with a lot of the repercussions of Endgame, um, which is why I think it's following um which is why i think it's gonna be the final film in phase three um and i also i liked how there wasn't a mid credits or end credits scene um like matt said it, it made it feel more final and also the ending was really satisfying i didn't really want anything else to kind of overshadow that um and also it it also allowed you to just kind of sit there and uh like kind of watch the credits and appreciate um you know the conclusion and that that feeling of finality um and also, did any of you hear the banging, the hammer? Yeah. The moment I heard that, because I because I, I had to stay in the theater anyway, just because I felt kind of obligated to. And then you start hearing the the hammer on the anvil kind of sound effect. And my 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 only thought is this is just a callback. It's a send off. It started with Iron Man and we're ending it with him. Goodbye. Done. I start hearing people theorize, oh, he's alive. Oh, he's going to come. No, shut the fuck up. He's dead. Get over it. Deal with it. That's why I think that's what kind of frustrates me more 
about the fact that there's no end credit scene simply because they have that banging sound. Why you, they know us Marvel fans are going to sit through the 12 minutes of credits to wait for what happens at the end. If they had nothing at the end, poetic, beautiful, wow, nice. The fact that they had it to where they had the Iron Man banging noise when he's making this armor, it has people like us theorizing what's going to happen next when it's just simply a callback to the original movie. Honestly, I think it's a bit... No, 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 we're not, we're not theorizing, but you get people online theorizing about what can this banging mean when it's simply what you said, Matt, is it's just a callback. That's why I think it would have been better if they didn't. I think the banging noise, we're talking about eight, an eight-second sound cliff, but I think if they took that, that, that banging noise, I think, is really a, a bit of a, hey, you stuck after the credits. We're not even going to give you a little joke. We're just going to give you a sound effect. And it means nothing. He's like the cherry on top of this, like carefully crafted film that is already that is already a huge thank you and a huge send off. We're just gonna give you something else, a little bit more. That if you pay, if you were patient, we're gonna give you like this little little sound clip, just something a little nice, and that's it. But it's like imagine like you go out to a nice dinner, it's beautiful, and then then you want some nice dessert. Instead, they give you. Just a, spr- uh, a sprinkle, not even like a cherry, just a little sprinkle. It's like, hey, here's your dessert. And like, I would have been better without nothing. So I think that's that that attribute, I think, was unnecessary. I will I will disagree with that because I, I just I think just simply because I just like the little I just like the callback. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I like the. The, that along with the other callbacks, like the cheeseburgers. Oh well, no, I, I the cheeseburger thing I think is a bit is a considered callback. I think that sound effect was a non unnecessary anything emotionally besides besides a simple like hey it started with Iron Man and ended up with Iron Man. We already knew that. Watching that sound clip didn't add any more information than what we got. Yeah, but I mean, why are you needing more information anyway? Like. Because I am a greedy movie viewer and I'm never satisfied. The Russo Brothers has given me a three-hour epic and I am not satisfied. I'm just kidding. Well, clearly, that's where you're <laughs> mistaken. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I was about to call bullshit. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I want more. <laughs> yeah, this movie sucked. Uh, zero out of ten. In the three hours. We should waste some time. Now. Zero out of ten because Nick Fury didn't say anything in this movie. <laughs> right, like I've heard that though. Like that's a legitimate criticism. Like I've heard, like Nick Fury didn't say anything. I mean, at least he showed up. So <laughs> that's exactly he showed up, and that's it. That's all you need. I mean, at least he got like a shot because there's some other like when they're when they're showing all like the supporting character images. There's some people like where are they in the movie? And it's just them at the funeral, just in the very background. Like they don't even get like a central shot. They're just, you have to kind of like search for them. Like who? Uh, they had Maria Hill there. They had. Oh, well, yeah, but they still like pan to her. I don't know. Yeah, but it wasn't like she wasn't the same. Like she was just kind of in the background, background. Like she didn't, at least Nick Fury, at least like, okay, there is Nick Fury. With Maria Hill, I, it wasn't until like the last, the fourth time I saw it. Where I noticed, like, oh, there she is. General Ross is next to her, and his 
I'm forgetting his actor's name, but he gets a, one of like the, the slides and the credits. And I'm like, I only noticed him. The, I, it's funny because I didn't notice him nor his credit the first time around. But then the second time I noticed where he was standing at the funeral. And then I was and then I saw, oh, yeah, he gets a credit. Yeah. I think because the first time I was just so I was I was just like laying in my seat, head head back, just like, Jesus, how do I go on? Because again, this movie is a lot. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone listening agrees. I mean, think about think about like how the original cut of it was ridiculously long. Think about how much they had to trim down and how much. Bring it on! I, want I mean, I'm pretty me sure. I, I think I think Quicksilver had a part in it. Wait, what? Fire. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he was like seen like the guy was like seen on the set in Atlanta and I'm I'm pretty sure he had some scene maybe maybe they went back to 2015 at some point but then they had to cut it. Catherine Langford was cast as somebody. I think people assumed that she was going to play an older version of Morgan and that didn't happen. I mean, there's so much. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, uh, Catherine Langford. That's her name. The actress's name. I was the first time I saw her, like where is she because. I feel like that was like one of the earliest rumors. Like, okay, this girl is going, this actress is going to play a major role because on IMDb, she's credited as actress. I'm like, okay, cool. Who can she play? Could she play uh, Scott Lang's daughter? Could you play Tony Stark's daughter? And then she's just not there. And I'm like, I had that feeling of like, I had to miss her because I, I didn't really think of it as she was cut out because I, maybe because I just kind of took that news as confirmed. She's in the movie. And not as like she was like a small part. So I feel like I had something similar with that to where I kind of want to know that story. Like what was her scene? Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm wondering if they like went even further into the feature at some point, maybe in one draft of the script. And I, I don't, I don't know. There's a, a plethora of things that <laughs> could have happened. <laughs> Well, and there's also always the possibility that maybe that's another way for Marvel to kind of throw everyone off the scent of what's really going on in the movie. I mean, she does have the IMDb credit, so I don't know. That's just like me saying. But, you know, this movie was so big and so important and the whole scheme of all of this Marvel stuff that anything leaking was either probably like on purpose or like, Yeah. Probably on purpose is just my guess, except for the like in game whole thing getting leaked like three days before the movie came out. But beforehand, like a lot of that stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if Marvel was like, hey, we're we're going to release this and get you guys like speculating on this one train. And then everyone's like completely wrong when the actual movie comes out. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still like just boggled that they've managed to pull it off. You know, I mean, the scope of it is just so big. And the time travel aspect, like that hasn't really, I mean, think about Days of Future Past. But I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it, one can argue it hasn't been pulled off that successfully as it was in Endgame. I think Endgame was a perfect time travel movie simply because they averted our expectations not only at, oh, they adverted our expectations not only as, hey, this is a time travel movie, but it's a time travel movie that's not following the rules of all the other time travel movies. I think that the the their way of setting it up, like, hey, we're not affecting the future by going to the past. I think that's a great way for them to cut all the uh, plot holes in half, even though there are some plot holes. There would have been more if they went down that road as like a back to the future thing. So I think when I think of time travel now, I'm going to think as this as like a completely different level than everything else to kind of follow that same 
formula for a time travel movie. So I think they really did a very different yet effective job with the time travel. Yeah. Great costuming. Just to, to quick, quick shout out to whoever does costuming at Marvel, because I'm pretty sure it's different for every film. But whoever did it for Endgame, go you. They were dope. Another reason I, I like kind of sat through the credits because I'm like, hey, there's all these people. They deserve some recognition. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of people on this film and a lot of people got paid. So before we wrap up this discussion of Endgame, this second discussion of Endgame really is what this has been. Uh, the last time Matt and I kind of put where Endgame would end up in our MCU list and it might have even changed for me. I don't know about you, Matt, if it's kind of adjusted where where it lives in your rankings after you saw it a second time. But I'm really curious about what Maite and Colin think about it, if it's even in your top five, if it's in your top 10, if it is lower than that. There's 22 movies, so I guess it could be 22. In theory, hopefully it's not, but kind of where it falls in your Marvel movie ranking as far as that goes for you guys. I hate doing these things. I don't, I mean, I hate, I mean, well, I strongly dislike it because it's just really hard and I can never pick which one is my favorite and which one is squeezing it in my top five. It changes like literally every week. So I'm going to let Colin go first. As this film didn't have an end credit scene, this could be number 22. Oh my God. <laughs> the out, worst now, movie ever. Out. <laughs> it beats Thor <laughs> Dark World. <laughs> it ruined the whole franchise. The Dark World is underrated. No. Um, <laughs> Endgame is very much. Uh, on some days, it's my number uh, before Endgame. My number one film of all time at, was in, uh, Avengers: Infinity War. I love that movie. I think I have some problems with uh, Avengers: Endgame, uh, but really, that's nothing that ruins the film for me. While I'm probably more likely to rewatch Infinity War, I do think Endgame is the better film, and especially how I consider this uh, Infinity War and Endgame as one storyline. I kind of would put that the Infinity Gauntlet two films as number one. But if I had to put Endgame as one of them, probably say it's num. You know what? Yes, I'm gonna say it's number one because it really did something that I really was dreaming they would be able to pull off, and they exceeded all my expectations. While Infinity War is a bit more rewatchable than this, I do think that this is the better crown achievement uh, overall. Oh, wait, so we're just doing where Endgame is on the list, not like our top five. You don't have to. You can throw your top five in there. I choose not to because that's me out. I mean, I definitely think Endgame is the best film because holistically they managed to write a love letter to the 22 films while also closing out that whole Infinity Saga and also paying great respects to the beginning of the franchise which i mean i just can't believe they did that first of all so i mean i would say it's the best film they've made um and i mean i it's it's funny because after i saw it that thursday night i was thinking like it's gonna be a really long time before i see this again because it's so much to take in and then i saw it the next day so <laughs> i i i'm initially like i'm inclined to think like oh, it's like a lot, like it's really heavy emotionally. So it's not as rewatchable as some of the other films. But I mean, that's just a lie because I saw it within 24 hours the first time I saw it. So, um, I mean, it's probably my favorite MCU film. Um, just, I mean, I just think it's the best they've made. And I think 
it's a beautiful movie and it's well done. It's an emotional roller coaster. Um, so yeah. And I'm going to choose not to do my top five because that's way too hard. <laughs> no, yeah. I will say the incredible Hulk is the most underrated movie. The MCU fight me. Oh, okay. That's good. Hold my earrings. <laughs> yeah. Matt did in game settle out in your rankings. I think it did. Last time I put it at number four behind civil war. I think it, I think it, it, I moved it up one. I, it's not because I think, I think like Colin puts it, I, if you treat Infinity War and Endgame as one movie, then I'd put them collectively at number two. But I think for me, Infinity War still edges out Endgame just a little bit. I think because it, I think because, and because Infinity War tells a bit more of a cohesive story, it's a bit more focused, especially like, because it's like the Thanos movie. So the primary focus is him. And I think, again, I think it's also a bit more rewatchable because, and I said this to my friends last night as we were driving home, I can go back and watch Infinity War because it's, there's like, you can have a lot of fun with it. I, I don't think, I feel like you have to be in a mood to watch Endgame. Like, I don't know that I could just sit down one night and be like, yeah, I want to watch Endgame because I feel like it's so emotionally draining. Because, and but also the reason I think it bumps up it bumps out a uh, civil war though is because I think it's a better comic book movie which which was important for me because because that's what I th- I took the time travel as a big way to a big way to also point out this is a comic book movie we're allowed to do goofy things like Marvel's not afraid to take some risks and embrace the comic book side of things um Whereas Civil War, I think maybe sometimes t- tries to take itself somewhat seriously, which it shouldn't. But um, I still keep Winter Soldier at number one because I will. You ask me any day of the week to rewatch that movie, I will do it. Um, so for me, it's it's Winter Soldier, Infinity War, and I put Endgame at number three, and I'm pretty sure that's where it will stay. Who knows though? It could it could change. Nostalgia could overtake me at some point, but. We'll see. For now, it's number three. That's fair. I <laughs> I was listening to you guys talk, not my day, uh, Colin and Matt talk about how Infinity War is better, and I just have to disagree completely. Uh, <laughs> for myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, I've got fight. I, I'm, I'm with you, Jordan. You, you take that. All right. All right. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it's the girls versus the guys on this one, as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, I like have to completely disagree with all of your points about it being easier to watch, about it being a better like story, about all of that, because I think Infinity War was super hectic. Don't get me wrong. I really like the movie. I'm not discounting that at all. But so much was going on in Infinity War that I feel like it all kind of got funneled in and like smoothed out through Endgame. Like there were so many fight scenes going on in Infinity War and so many characters they wanted to pack into the movie, which is understandable and exactly what we wanted out of that movie. But like each fight scene jumps from like fight to fight to fight to fight where like you can't really ever see all of one fight or like that end scene in Wakanda where like so much is going on. You only see snippets of that and you only see glimpses of certain characters and some characters only get to talk like occasionally. So, like, if you don't care about Thanos or you would have preferred to see, like, more of the characters versus Thanos and, like, Thanos jumping around, then, like, I think Endgame is better. And I am kind of on that side where, like, I think Endgame is better. I would much rather focus on all the heroes and, like, see what's up with them 
even when things are going like terribly in their lives, which is exactly how Endgame starts, or I guess like and continues throughout half of it. Um, but I think like bringing that focus back to these heroes in Endgame is what puts that like way above Infinity War in my book. Um, I love I love everything that happens in Endgame. I still am kind of conflicted with my top five. I don't totally know where I would put it. I think I would still watch Doctor Strange's like origin story before I would watch Endgame again. But again, I don't know. All of that is very like shifty as far as that goes. But I definitely like am putting Endgame soundly in my top five and putting Infinity War like farther down. Because like now that I've seen it, I don't really need to see it again to like understand what's going on in this story. And like also as a cat fan, this is like the perfect ending that I could have asked for. So like again, like watching that back and being able to watch all of that then like I think that's also what helps bump it up in my book and like I said before the three like Captain America movies are also in my top five so this one kind of like caps off that trilogy I feel like so it kind of has to go in there as well as far as that goes for myself so uh Endgame is better than Infinity War is what you should get out of this (laughs) he also has a lot less screen time in Infinity War cap at least so true he does yeah. <laughs> you're like i noticed yeah I, yeah i know thank you, no. yeah, you know, i think we got a civil war on our hands we got on war versus endgame where no matter what we both win that's true they're two halves of the same movie so technically we're all winning at the same time yeah at the end of the day we got a good story do y'all see marvel pulling or at least doing something like this in like 10 years with a different storyline like with secret wars or something i'm really hoping they don't they if they yeah, I don't know. I don't want Secret Wars. Avengers versus X-Men. Annihilation. <sighs> they have X-Men now. I forgot. I mean they're not gonna incorporate the X-Men Maybe. for like years. Yeah, but like but what you saying uh, a ten year span, like could we see another one of these not another uh and uh, Avengers, but like another like big satisfying payoff. Um let's hope. I think the next thing is, I don't know, man. I think that, I think the, for me, I think the next big payoff moment is Siege. If they could build up to Siege for, for comic readers who know what that is. But I mean, that's, that's just me because I love that storyline and I love how Brian Michael Bendis' whole Marvel run of the 2000s just went. And if they did that in the, in the films, I would be a very happy person. But uh, that's just me. I don't think they'll ever reach the same level of grandeur that Endgame and uh, Infinity War had. Um, simply because I, I feel like, you know, when you've done it once, you should leave it at that. Don't try to do it again because you probably will fuck it up. Here's what I fear is that how I consider this like the next Star Wars. We got the perfect 22 cap per the Avengers, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet saga is complete. I'm afraid they're going to pull a Star Wars. They're going to pull a Hobbit. They're going to pull a Fantastic Beast and then just completely mess it up by trying to recapture what worked before. I want to see something different moving forward. I don't want to see them retry and go, hey, if, we do, if they do Galactus, hey, here's Galactus. It's like Thanos. I want to see something very different. And please, Marvel... Don't mess this up. It's a lot. I know you you gave us twenty two great movies, but like, don't go down that mediocrity road, please. See, that's where I am not worried because 
Marvel has changed the game so much that I don't think they would ever try to just repeat the same thing. I mean, we've already seen changes within the MCU itself where like we've seen some of the similar things, but like, I mean, it's been 10 years. So from start to finish of this section, it has changed so much. But really what I think Marvel... What I, I guess what I should say, what I would like to see Marvel do next is instead of pulling all of our heroes back to their individual solo films, I would love to see more interaction between them. Because I think part of the reason that Infinity War at first like feels a little jolting to fans, uh, apart from the whole like Thanos thing, is realizing that like all of these characters we've watched on screen for like 10 years, they don't all know each other. Like we all know them, but they don't all know each other. And so like coming into in infinity war then it's like okay everyone like figure out who everyone is and then in end game everyone is like on the same team clearly at the end they're all on the same team and they all kind of know who each other is and where each other exists in the various i don't know realms of being heroes or the various levels or whatever you want to call that classify that however you want to say that so i think like the next step would to be kind of shove some of them into each other's movies to throw them together i mean we're already kind of seeing that with disney plus with falcon and winter soldier and kind of putting them together like i think that would make the most sense going forward so then it's not like oh our heroes are all like spread out again and they don't talk to all these people who they just went through this like huge event with and even if they don't have to like directly reference endgame then they still could be like all right well like Thor's with the Guardians, which we already know is going to happen. Or like Valkyrie and Captain Marvel team up. Or like Scarlet Witch and someone. I don't know who to put her with. But Scarlet Witch and... Not Vision. Not Vision. Vision Yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of buddying up. And it doesn't even have to be the like typical like buddy cop like routine like we saw in Thor Ragnarok with like Hulk and Thor but like there is still that like team aspect that I think should continue to come into play because it happened so heavily within Infinity War and then with Endgame. I I understand a lot of the fears that you've stated Colin mainly because like we don't really know what they're planning on doing right now so there's that kind of fear of the unknown as where they can take these characters but I, I do have hope in the fact that they knew where to end a story before it got like drawn out and it before it got old because you see that in so many TV shows and franchises and they gave a really good send off to these characters in this uh, saga of the franchise and uh, that sense of finality I think gives me hope that they won't fuck it up in the future hopefully um, but I mean I think again it's like that fear of the unknown because I am curious about what they're planning on doing in the future um, and. I don't know. I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I, I'm excited about the characters they're going to bring to life. Um, Namor would be cool. Uh, maybe that was a shout out, maybe not. And it'll be interesting to see how they eventually down the line incorporate the Fox characters. Um, like, you know, maybe Galactus, maybe Silver Surfer. I don't want to get my hopes up for any particular character, but when that inevitably happens, it'll be really interesting to see how they do it. If you're here, you've probably already seen Endgame. You should go see it again. That's my recommendation. I think you should go see Guys. Endgame a hundred more times so it could be the number one movie in the world. Period. Or maybe we just spoiled all of this for you and ruined it. <sighs> Guys. If, yeah, I'm going to say, if you were foolish enough to come here and just listen to us spoil the movie, shame, shame on you. Shame. Yes, this is a retroactive spoiler warning for anyone out there. <laughs> 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 it was 
hasn't seen Endgame, this is a spoiler cast. Yeah, this is a spoiler cast take two. So uh, you really should be warned by now that we have spoilers galore in this one for sure. But other than that... Go yeah, back just time. take the time stone and uh, time a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, as usual, we have loved talking about Avengers Endgame. Thank you so much for listening to us. As always, you should head over to our site, to comicsverse.com, to see what else we've got going on there. There's probably plenty more in-game stuff there, and there will continue to be more coming out. Yeah, so there'll be more coming out from us soon. So if you haven't seen that, head on over to comicsverse.com. And of course, check out the rest of our podcast episodes. We have a lot of great ones that definitely should be listened to. So other than that, thanks for listening. Love you 3000. Love you 3000. Yeah.